The topic is May Meriva. May Meriva means, of course, the story where Meshad Abenu hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock, at least in Rashi's opinion. And as a consequence, Meshad and Aaron were both punished that they're not going to be able to go into the Tisro. And I, like I said, years ago I had an obsession to teach this. I, I, I read some of the Mepharshim who say some interesting things. But when I started to research it, I realized there's, it, there's probably around 40 or different, or 50 different explanations into what was the Aveda that Moshe Rabbeinu did, which was punished, that he was not allowed to go into Eretz Yisrael. Right from the beginning. This is one of my favorite thoughts. Last week we had the story of Kairach. We're not exactly sure when the story of Kedach happened. There are various different opinions as to when the story of Kedach could have occurred. But it seems most plausible that the story of Kedach happened near the same time as the story of the Meraglim, which was pretty early on in the 40 years that the Jewish people were in the desert. Now, they read the Chumash, and much of what you're learning in the Chumash is, of course, the life of Moshe Rabbeinu. Right? The long version of this is, you know, if we wanted to lecture it for, for half an hour, the way the lecture would go is that even though the Torah was written before creation, and it's the infinite wisdom of God, it comes down into this world in a form, in a revush, in a garment. And part of that garment is time and the personality. And the Hamisha Chumche Torah, or without a doubt, Torah's Mesha. It's Mesha Rabbein Nusefi. That means to say, even though it was written before the creation and it encompasses the past, the present, and the future. Still, it has an immediate form. It has a chitzoniyazdike uh, model. And the chitzoniyazdike model of the Torah that revolves around the life of Meshach Rabbeinu. Just like the Sefer Divri Ayomim and the Sefer Malachim revolve around the Malchi based David, the royal dynasty of David and Melech. Though it discusses many other things. Similarly, uh, the Chumash is the story of, of Meshach Rabbeinu's life. Even the others, it's all leading up to Meshach Rabbeinu. But if you think about it, the bulk of the Chumash, from Shmois till Vazay Sabracha, in other words, the four of the remaining five Chumash, for the most part, encompasses a period of approximately three years. Three years. The whole Chumash, from the beginning of Exodus, more or less, until the end of Deuteronomy and the Dvarim is approximately three years. From Shmois till the beginning of this week's Pasha, Pasha's Chukas, takes place in approximately a year and a half. Approximately, I stand corrected, uh, two and a half years. Two and a half years. You have to figure around a year for the, 12, the 10 Makis, around a year for the 10 Makis. Then, 50 days later they came to Har Sinai they spent a virtual year at Har Sinai they left Har Sinai <coughs> they had some trouble the trouble got them through the summer the story of the spies happened as we know Tisha B'Av. the story of the Meraglim I'm sorry of Kaidach is debated exactly when it occurred but from almost the very beginning of Shmois until this week's Pasha is approximately two and a half years approximately 30 months maybe 31 or 32 months our Pasha begins at Parah Duma and then, right after Paraduma, Miriam Anavia passes away. Miriam Anavia passed away in the 40th year. Her yard site is Yud Nisan, the 10th day of Nisan. One year later to the day, or whatever, the next day, the Jewish people crossed the Yadin. 
the Yarden, they crossed the Jordan on the 10th of Nisan the following year. So you're figuring, yeah, the end of the Chumash, from Pasha's Chukas till Zeis Abroche is a yard, is a year. In fact, it's less than a year. It's from Yud Nisan till Zayin Odin. It's 11 months. And from the beginning of Shmois till this week's Pasha is two and a half years. That means most of the Chumash encompasses a period of about three and a half years. Pardon? The 40 years in the Midbar are represented by a space of nine letters. That's it. <laughs> the whole record of the 40 years is unrecorded. It's not in the Chumash. They, there's, there's spaces between the two and a half years and the year. But there's no record of it. There's no discussion, there's no history, there's no stories. And what I would like to believe, and what I would like to propose, is the following. There is a trend, there is a tendency, there is a movement amongst people, which is very disturbing to me, that says in effect that the entire Jewish history is full of politics, full of complaining, and full of arguing, and full of dissent. I'd like to propose that that has to be modified a little bit. The entire recorded Jewish history is full of politics and dissent and fighting and not getting along and discord. But the periods of Jewish history that were peaceful, who's going to state the obvious? That people got along? That Moshe gave instructions and he didn't listen? So the way I'd like to see it, and I really believe this, is that the reason there's no record of the 38 intermediate years, or 37 intermediate years, between the two and a half initial years, and the last year, is because nothing happened. Jews were in the desert, they ate man, they studied Torah, they did exactly what they were told. But it should be no surprise to anybody that the Jewish people listen to Moshe Rabbeinu, who gets his instructions directly from the Mabish. Simple as that. The end of the Chumash, which is the last of the 40 years, is again eventful, so Tehidah records it. And the same can be said of all of history, the periods of history that we know the most about are the most difficult periods. The periods of history we know the least about are the most peaceful periods. And there are periods that may be hundreds of years long that we know almost nothing about. The period that I always think of as the Tkufas HaGo'inim, from the time of the end of the Shas, to the year of the birth of Rashi, in the year 1040, which is the official date of Ma'avad, of transfer, of transition from Go'inim to the Shoinim. That year, the year 1240, Rashi was born. Rabbi Nagershem Eragoyle passed away, and Rabbi Haigon passed away. Rabbi Nagershem Eragoyle was the first great Goan in Ashkenaz in Europe, in Germany. And Rabbi Haigon was the last of the Goanim of Bovel. It was a transitional period, but for 500 years, they have almost no record, almost no literature. For us, people spoke Aramaic, they spoke the language of the Talmud, of the Shas. There was no need to further interpret the Gemara, they understood the Gemara as it was. And it was a peaceful period of time. Jews lived in Bovel, not bad. So this is what I want to share with you as an opening. That in our Pasha, we go from the beginning of the 40 years to the end of the 40 years and the entire 38 intermediate years are represented by nine oasis, by a space, by a pay or a sama, because they were just, they just lived. And in my personal opinion, they, there's nothing to be recorded because nothing eventful occurred. But when the 40 years come to a close, trouble starts again. And the reason trouble starts again is because things started to change. We all understand that we are creatures of habit. We love sameness, we love predictability, we love things to always be repetitive in the same way. The moment things start to change, we start to get nervous. And the last year, things started to change. Just like at the very beginning, Yidin were complaining repeatedly because things were changing, constantly changing. 
Similarly, at the end of the 40 years, things started to change rapidly. The first symptom of this rapid change was the passing of Miriam Anavir. She passed away, Yud Nissen, Beis Alofim, Tav, Mem, Zayin. Tav Pei Zayin, pardon me. 2487. The 10th of this, and she passes away. She was an old lady. How old was she? She was 125, circa. Okay, but when she passed away, something very, very more powerful occurred. The water stopped coming from the rock. Because, as we know from Chazal, that the Be'edah Shalmidiyam, the fountain, the, the water that we had in the midbar, we got in the Tzchus of Miriam and Vir. In the of Miriam. The clouds we got in the Tzchus of Arin, and the water we got in the Tzchus of Miriam. So as soon as there's no water, the Jewish people started to complain. So the Jewish people complained, and they came to Moshe Rabbeinu, and Moshe Rabbeinu went to the Eivish, and the Eivish tells them, take your stick, and go to the cellar, to the rock, and speak to it. And tell that you produce water, and it'll give out water. So Moshe Rabbeinu went to the cellar, and it says in the Chumash, it's a cellar, he hit the uh, stone with his stick two times, and water flowed. And it gave irrigation water to the people and to the Be'ira means literally to their livestock, to their animals. The next passage says that Hashem says to Mesh and to Adin, Since you had insufficient, flawed emuna in me, to make a Kiddush Hashem, you will not have this host to bring the Jewish nation into the Holy Land into Eretz Yisrael. That's this is the story of Meimiri. Moshe Rabbeinu was told to speak to the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock, he hit the rock. And the consequence of this is that him and Adam were both punished and wouldn't go into Eretz Yisrael. Then, of course, we go a little bit further. The Jews get into more trouble. Then Adam Akoyim passes away. And what happens when Adonai passes away? The clouds go away. Then Adonai go away. And then they're attacked. And again they have trouble. And then they speak Lashon Hara against Meishar Abeinu. And you have what's called the Nechash HaNechoshes, the copper serpent, which protected Yidin, and so forth. The end of the story was that in that 40th year, the water and the clouds and the mon were all in the schus of Meishar Abeinu. And our Pasha finishes with the conquest of the nations of Sichin and Oik. I like to say that the Sikh Pashas and the Chumash are very busy. It's my opinion. Very busy parshas, b'shalach, ba'aleischa, and chukas. There's so much going on. It's just one story after another. Just like, it's a lot of action, and you have to keep track, you know. But it's a very eventful parsha. The first thing is you speak about paraduma. Then you shift from the beginning of the memshana to the end of memshana. Miriam and passes away, and this tragedy occurs. Now I remember being a child, learning the chumash. Now you have to remember, you learn the same book every year, right? But every time you learn it, you hope to be a different outcome, you know. And then they're about to go into Edgestral and Moshe doesn't make it. It's like a brand new frustration. You're upset all over again. After all this, you're not going to let him. Moshe Rabbein had one interest. Moshe Rabbein had one desire. He wanted to go into Edgestral and he had to hit the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock and forget about it. He didn't go into Edgestral and then Adam passes away. And it's sort of like Meiser. Till the end of the Chumash. Now, of course... There's so much to discuss on the passion. But the topic we are focusing on is simply this question. What was his sin? What did he do? Hashem said to speak to the rock and he hit the rock. So, what exactly was Moshe Rabbeinu Zaveda? And like I said to you, Abad Benel has ten interpretations. Ten. I didn't even copy the Abad Benel. I, no, I couldn't afford the copy. What can I tell you? 
<laughs> Copies cost money too. Yeah. Abenezer has 12 interpretations of what Moshe Rabbeinu's Aveda was. Ramban has five. Ebenezer has about five. I'm sorry, the Rabbeinu Bechayi is more or less than the Ebenezer. And there's so many other Mepharshim, you have no idea how much there is on this. But I, I decided when I started to do the beginning and the end. It's a very nice kiss for Yadizal. It's a Maim which says the same theory using a different form. And a couple of other tidbits that we're going to do. I only copied 17 pages. Could have copied a lot more. But what I want to do is read first of all the Chumash, then make an observation, and then we're going to do the uh, commentary. We're going to start on page one. I copied eight pages of Chumash. I'll say, I'm sorry for all the pages of Chumash. Eight pages of the Chumash. What does me tell the Jewish people? Miriam passes away. The rock that had been feed, providing them with irrigation for all these years, as Rashi says, it tumbled between all the other rocks. It was indistinguishable. You couldn't tell which was the miracle rock from all the ordinary rocks. And there's no water. Hashem says, Take the stick. Gather the community. You turn the page. And your brother Aaron. And the two of you should speak to the stone. Lay Nayim in the front of them. And it will give its waters. Now, just to share with you, the Mefarshim talk about the Dibatimel says, I mean to talk to the rock or at the rock. To actually speak to the rock and say, Rock, rock, produce water. Or to stand over the rock and speak to the Abishta that the water should be produced. Like Ela Sela or Ala Sela is how it's discussed in the Mefarshim. They taste the and you will bring forward for them Mayim water. Turn to page five now. Minasela from the rock. Veshkisa es and you will irrigate the community, the camp. Let's beat them in their livestock. And the Taylor says, Veyikach Meishas Amatav Lifnia Deshem God. Meishavet took the stick from before God. Kasher Tivo as he was instructed. Vayakhilu Meishaviyad Nesakol Meishanad and gathered together the community El Pnei Hasola in front of this stone. Vayayimalehem. And Maisha says to the people, Listen here, Maidim. What does Maidim mean? Troublemakers, rebels, or people who change. What do you think? Are we going to be able to get water out of this rock? Or perhaps, do you believe that from this stone we're going to produce water? Turn the page six now. Maisha raises his hand. He hits the stone with his stick. Twice. Abundant waters flowed forward, but and it satisfied the community and their livestock. That's Pasuk 6. You with me? Page 6 still, right? Now, so immediately Hashem said, because you did not have sufficient faith in me to sanctify me to the eyes of the sons of Israel. Consequently, you will not bring this community and the art of Hashem will have the blood which I have given them. That's it. The story happened so fast. It's a blink. We're all looking forward to Moshe to go in there to throw. Mashiach's going to come. It's going to be terrific. And then boom. The five took him. All the plans are canceled. There's new plans. It's so disappointing. Even though you know the story and you learned it a hundred times, every time you come to these passages, did this really have to happen? Right? Oh, but does it happen? Hey, Mameh These are the waters of conflict. That the Jewish people rebelled against the Abishtah. By Kadesh Bam, and the Abishtah was sanctified in them, and them means the nation. Now, 
do you know how many questions there are in this, in this Pasha? I don't get it. Tons. There's so many, many things that I can uh, observe. I just want to say a few introductory points. First of all, we are sticking to one question. What was the Aveda? That's all we care about. There's so much here you have no idea. This is the question. What was the sin? Just two observations that I want to make. Number one, we had a story in Pasha's B'Shalach, another busy Pasha, where the Jewish people complained about water. And Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to go to the rock and hit it. Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock and the water came out and that was fine. But in that Pasha, the rock was called Tzur. Tzur means a rock. In our Pasha, the rock has evolved from Tzur into Selah. Selah also means rock. What's the difference between Tzur and Selah? That depends on how much mercy the clock is going to have. And it doesn't look like so far he's being very merciful. So it changes from a Tzur to a Selah. Another thing that I want to share with you is that there are three different expressions found in the Chumash to indicate Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron HaKoyim's failure. What was the Avera that they did? So in our section on page 6, it says, Lo Yehemantem B. On page 6, Lo Yehemantem B means you didn't strengthen Yidin's moon in me. In Later on in the Teda, you have two other expressions for a total of three. You have later on in this Pasha, when, when Aaron HaKoyim is passing away, Hashem says to Aaron, go up on the mountain and die. Al Hashem merisem SP. Because he rebelled against my mouth. And in Chumish Devarim it says, Asher ma'altem bi. Ma'altem bi means you uh, abused me, you used me inappropriately. So these three expressions, these three ways that the Torah, that the Chumish, that the Chumish itself articulates Moshe Rabbeinu Nanakein's sin. The first of all, you did not affect the Yiddish in me. The second is Merisem P, you rebelled against my mouth. And the third is Ma'altem B, you abused me. And it would be interesting, it would be nice if we could figure out the significance of each of these three expressions and their relevance to the question at hand. What was Moshe Rabbeinu's sin? Okay, without any further ado, we begin by reading um, uh, Rabbeinu Hananel. Rabbeinu Hananel, how do I repeat the Shanchumish? Rabbeinu Hananel is on page 6. Rabbeinu Hananel repeat the Shanchumish. But we don't have Rabbeinu Hananel, the Chumish was lost to us. What we do have, however, is other Rishonim who quote him. And uh, Shavel, who was a great uh, mighty lawyer of Sparam and Rishonim, was Malaka, collected from all other books. And he sort of tried to compile the Pirash Harach and Rabbeinu Hananel on the Chumish. Rabbi Khan was from the Goyim. He was a long time ago, way before Rashi, before the Rif. He lived 1200 years ago, approximately. And we have in Yeshiva, it's also on, on Rabbi Khan on Shas, it's one of the oldest commentaries on the, on the Gemara. And uh, I don't know if you the history of the world, Rabbi Khan was a prisoner who was captured and redeemed by the Jewish community of Spain. And it, it's a famous story in Jewish history about the four captives three men and a woman, Rabbi Khan and Rabbi Khanin, and I forgot who the fourth one was. And they came to Spain, and they brought Talmud, they brought Torah to Spain. The beginning of Yiddishkeit in Europe was the arrival of these Goinim to the shores of Spain, whatever it was, Cordova, Castile, I don't know who redeemed them, but because they became the Rashi Yeshiva, and the Torah of Bava, the Babylonian Torah, where Jews had been studying Torah for 
well over a thousand years that interruption finally reached uh, Europe. So Ben Khan is an important person in history. And it says like this, Yan tembi, because you do not believe in me, says Rach. You see what I'm reading? It's on the right side near the top on page six. Hu. The sin is Amram Hamin say, from this rock will we produce water. What is the word noitzi? We. Adam and Moshe say, we will produce the water. It'd be much more apropos, they would say, Yoitzi Hashem. The Amish says going to bring forward the water. The fact that they said, Noitzi, that we're going to bring forward the water, this constituted the whole Aveda. So the Rach says, what was the Aveda? What was the sin that Moshe and Adam committed? That rewrote all of Jewish history, resulted in them passing away in the Midbar, and so on and so forth, is that they said, we're going to give you water. They should have said, the Amish is going to give you water. What do you have a simile for this? What do you have an earlier case of this in the Chumish? Huh? Remember another case like this? When the Malachim are turning over stone, remember the angels are turning over stone? They tell them, we came to turn over the cities of time. We came to turn over the cities of time. We were sent, we were sent to destroy it. And then a few psukum later it says, We can't do anything until you come to Tzoyah, says Rashi. Since when the Malachim have any power? The moment the Malachim said, we can't, we came to destroy it. The Chazal said 32 years they were divorced from the heavens. It's a whole cheshman that's doing Yankel Avinu's dream. They were not able to come into the heavens for many, many years afterwards because they said maybe it's much more than 32 years. But there's a cheshman of years from the story of time until they're able to make out or go back into the heavens. It's not, it's more than 32 years. Maybe it's 132 years. This is when Aram Avinu was 99, yeah. 60 years of Yitzchak and 64 years of, yeah, 126 years. It's, it's, for, a, for a very, very long time, these Malachim were not allowed back into the heavens because they stated, uh, we, we're going to turn over the city of Stone. So because Moshe and Adam said, we are going to give you water, that was a big event. Now, the philosophy behind this Rach is very important. The philosophy behind this Rach is important because... This is the difference between a Navi Emes and a Navi Shekel. You know, we have the great dilemma of Tomim Tiyem Hashem Everybody knows that you're supposed to have only Hashem. You're not allowed to have any other entities in your life except for the Ebishter himself. But the same Ebishter who says, Tomim Tiyem Hashem says, in the same sequence, Navi Akim Lachem Bekerem Achechem Kamoicha. Hashem says that you can have a prophet. So how could you have it both ways? And at the same time, you have to be sincere and simple with God on the one hand. And on the other hand, um, uh, you have a prophet. And of course the answer is that the union of a Navi is All the Navi says, so says God. And since all the Navi says, the Navi is considered transparent. In other words, he's not a steer to Achtos because he's completely bucked. As opposed to Mahagul and Avi Sheker who says, I see and I understand and I surmise and so forth. When Moshe Rabbeinu and say, Noitzi, that very use of the word establishes Moshe and Adam as a Matthias. The moment Moshe and Adam are Matthias, they can no longer be between Yidin and the Ebshtim. So why do they say it? Chveis nisht. You can give many explanations. That the, this is a, like, like, you know, there's a deeper, a deeper achtot to the Ebishta and the Tzaddik, at the Matthias and the Tzaddik. Like, for example, in Sefer Dvarim, the whole Sefer Dvarim, 
Moshe Rabbeinu was talking like as if he's God. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu was talking in first person, and Moshe Rabbeinu was the speaking on behalf of the Eibushter. This is not Chumash Dvarim, it's Chumash Bamidbar. So he was a few months ahead of schedule or whatever it was. But there are many ways of explaining it. But the Rach explains why it was a subtle mistake. Let's keep reading. Ve'ulai, the last, I'm reading Rach, which is on page 6 on the right, the last of the five lines of it. Ve'ulai, perhaps. Choshvu on the people would think. that Kimesha v'yadam v'chachmosa v'meshe v'adam and their great wisdom. Ho'itziyu, page 7 now, on the right side near the top. Lehem Mayim and Asalza that Moshe and Adam themselves brought forward this water. Vezehu and therefore like them I see you didn't sanctify me you sanctified yourselves. And now that I explains. my the first time around when you had a rock, but there that rock was called Tzur. Oh, my Taylor says I'm going to stand above you by the Tzur. Vashivim zakeinim rayim and all the Jewish people, the seventy elders saw Amud ha'onon emid alto. They saw the presence of Hashem on the rock. Vanes mitparsim. Everybody could see ki ma'isa havaya agadul hu. First time they hit the rock, there was a cloud. There was the presence of God. Nobody could deny it was from Eibushtei. Even if Moshe Rabbeinu says noitzi, it wouldn't matter because you see the presence of Hashem. So it's obviously that it's the Eibushtei. Avobakan leirodav. And now there was no cloud. There was nothing extraordinary. Therefore, all that Moshe and I did was gather the Jewish people, take them down to the rock, and hit the rock. And they should have been more careful not to say noitzi, but to say oitzi adishem. And the mistake was that the Yidin misunderstood Moshe and Adam. In other words, Moshe and Adam's intention was that Abish is going to give water. But because the Yidin didn't see the presence of Hashem, they erroneously associated this event to Moshe and Adam themselves and not to the Abish. And of course, the Hezbit is, to elaborate a little bit on it, the Hezbollah of it is that they're 40 years graduated. They're 40 years ahead of they were at the beginning. And the more you become Jewish, the less the Abishta has to show you and the more you have to believe. So the beginning of the 40 years, Hashem revealed Himself and showed Himself and gave of Himself. So Yidin saw the Abishta. 40 years later, Hashem doesn't do anything. He expects Yidin to understand by themselves that it's coming from the Abishta. And they misunderstood one of Meshach Abedin's words. And because of this terrible Abedin, Meshach not lost the right to come in there and sister. This is Rabbi Nechanan. Now we do Rashi. Now we do Rashi. Go back to page 6. Page 6, Rashi. Um, you have two arrows on the left side of your page. We're going to read the second arrow. What was the Aveda? Lahak Tisheni to sanctify my name. Zokte Rashi Azoy. Sh'ilu dibartem alasalit. They would have spoken to the rock. And brought forward water. That would have been sanctified in the presence of the whole community. Because the Jewish people would have said the following. This stone. Cannot speak nor hear. It does not need sustenance. Fulfills the words of the Yavish. That Hashem speaks to the rock and produces water. Had Moshe spoken to the rock, he could have turned to the Jewish people and said, Listen, I speak to you too, why don't you listen? But because Moshe when hit the rock, he doesn't have that union of Kiddush Hashem. So, Taka, when you hit a rock and it produces water, I think we can all agree that that's a big mess. But the Kiddush Hashem, the lesson the Jewish people could have learned 
from the Eivish to telling Moshe talk to the rock and the rock could produce water, this is what was lacking. He should not have hit the rock, he should have spoken to the rock. And you'll see later on, if the time will allow it, it is a medrash that says an example, little kids you have to hit. Adults you have to talk to. 40 years ago they had to hit the rock because the Jews were just new. 40 years later, why are you hitting the rock? Talk to the rock. You're grown-ups. Talk. It's enough. And the Kiddush Hashem would have been, the Yidin would have learned that if the rock listens, they can certainly listen. And the Badir, the Rabbi the Tzemachtarek explained, he quotes that medish, he explains that 15 minutes on Yonim, what is the significance of hitting the rock versus talking to the rock. It's very, very, very enlightened. Now on the next page, it says, page 7, Hey, Mamei Mariva, these are the waters of descent and discord. Dr. Heyman is These waters of this court have been mentioned earlier. As Elu Ro'u, it says in Chumash, Pasha's boy, when the Jews want to leave Egypt, the Pharaoh doesn't let him. And the Jewish people say, we want to go out into the desert. The Pharaoh says, no, you cannot go. So the Pharaoh says, Ru'u I see a mazel, I see a force, I see an angel against you in the sky whose name is Ra'a, who is going to punish you, and he's going to punish you through water. So, Hanimelech Mitzayim saw that there's going to be a Malach called the Ra'a that's going to attack the Jewish people in the desert. And he assumed that this means that the Jewish people are going to be wiped out. And now that Moshe and Adam are punished, so this is as Eilu, Ra'a, Tzagnini, Pare, the stargazers of Pare saw, Shemashin, Sheyesol, Lekeb, Mamayim, that the Jewish Savior will be punished through water. I, I must uh, correct myself. I quoted the wrong Rashi. Not in Pasha's boy, but in Pasha's Shmoitz. The reason they threw the little children into the water is because they saw that the Savior, the Jewish people, is going to be punished by water. They thought they were going to be able to drown him. But in fact, this is how he was punished by water. At the end of his life, he was not able to take hidden into Eretz Yisrael. The Kargod, which is why they had originally decreed, all children will be thrown into the sea, hoping to kill Mashiach Yisrael with water. But of course, they didn't. So Teda says, way back, 80 some, 119 years before, they tried to kill Meshach Rabbeinu with water, anticipating that he would one day be punished through water. This is what they saw. They'd be punished through water, but right now, right in the beginning of his life. This is Rashi. Okay, now we go back and read Ebenezre. And the Ebenezre begins on page... Um, on page 1. Now, like I said to you, the Ebenezer has 12 different interpretations. 11, I'm sorry, not 12. I made a mistake. Not 12, only 11 interpretations. What I want to do is I just want to read the interpretations. What happens now is all the Rishonim bring opinions and argue. They dissent, they argue, they disagree. So Ebenezer has a Megillah, the Ramban has a Megillah, and the Rabbein Abchaya has a synthesis of the Ramban's Megillah. So we're on page 1 on the left side. Okay, you see what I'm reading? But I'm not going to read contiguously. We're only going to read the reasons. We're not going to read the problems of the reasons. Because if we start reading problems of the reasons, we will run into an insoluble problem, which is time. Yes, Pekan Pirushim Rabbim. Do you have the place? Yes? You want to follow inside or you just listen? Yes, Pekan Pirushim Rabbim. There's many different reasons as to what was the sin of Meshach and Adam. For which they were punished not to go into Eretz Yisrael. Yes, there's one opinion that how dare Moshe and Adam call the Jewish people troublemakers? How could Moshe and Adam speak Lashon 
and say Shimon Amaitim, listen, rebels, we're talking about Bnei Abraham and Yaakov. And Rashi Grab that brought in Pachas Baal Eischah that that uh, this is one of the reasons that Amman brings it in his Hagdama to uh, in the beginning of the Gersa Shmad. Amman brings that Meshach was punished for saying Shimon Amaitim because it was public. He embarrassed the Jewish people in public. When he said in private, when he said in private, Vestach, um, Hayad Hashem Tiktar, does Hashem have enough? He wasn't punished for that. But Shimon Almighty, he was punished for because he embarrassed the Jewish people. He put the Jewish people down. This is the first shot that Ebenezer brings. Now turn the page to page three. Okay. On the left at the top, Vacherim Omru, there's a second opinion. The word Vidibatam, Hashem to to speak to the rock, and he meant to pulverize the rock, to destroy it completely. Now, the way I understand this, and I have to tell you, I sat many minutes on these few lines, is that the Aveda was that they didn't hit the rock hard enough. Vidibatam Alasala means to speak, but he brings a Loshne Chazal to destroy. Utadabed is called Zeram Luchos to destroy. So the Aveda was that they only hit the rock twice, they should have pulverized the rock. This is the way I understand it. What does it mean mystically and spiritually? I don't know. Perhaps later on we'll come up with some kind of an explanation. But this is Aveda number two, in quotes. Now you go down to the Gimel. You see the Gimel? You see it? On page three, on the left side, five lines in the top. Verabeinu Meisha Koyin Zal Hasadi. A great Rishon says, "Yesh oisays nases bedibur." Some miracles happen with words. The yesh bepale bedibur. Some miracles require words and actions. But a prophet does a idiot. so he makes a symbol, he makes a representation. Sometimes all he does is speak, and then Hashem makes an s. And sometimes he speaks and he acts. Kmei melech alisha. Vavayetziva. Hashem instructed. Shikachamatesh. Take the stick. Lahakes besela. Kamish patatzur to hit the rock as he had done at the rock. Before, the haste of milas vidibatem, and he adds the word vidibatem. Lohaiti amayim b'make ubedibur. First time around, all Meisha had to do was hit the rock. Second time around, Hashem says to Meisha, "I want you to hit the rock, but I also want you to talk to rock." Ubavur shechisu Yisrael, because the Yidden got Meisha Rabbeinu angry. Amalehem amin asel azenei tilachamayim. You think we're going to be able to get water from this rock? Vahaisa daiti. He was thinking. That we don't have the kayak to produce the water, only the Yebishta does. And the Yidin heard it as if he was saying, You think Hashem has the power to produce water? They meant to say, We're not going to produce the water, the Yebishta will. But the way the Jewish people heard it was that uh, Hashem cannot produce water from the rock. So the sin was that they were supposed to do two things hit the rock to produce water and ask the rock to produce water. They certainly did hit the rock. But in terms of asking the rock for water, what they said and how they said it came across backwards. Instead of the words indicated that the rock is going to produce water with the keich of the Eivish, it sounded to the Yidden as though they were saying, Hashem cannot produce water from a rock. This is the third Aveda according to the Ebenezer. Okay? And this is... It's, we have not had anything similar to this yet. Correct? Turn to page 4. And on page 4, the Ebenezer continues. On the left side, 
And you see how it goes. Dalad, hey, Vav, Zion, Ches, Tess. You have a bunch of different explanations. On the left side, you see what I'm reading? There's a fourth opinion. That the Aveda was that he should not have spoken to the rock at all. He should have only hit the rock. Since when can rocks listen? <laughs> there's a Mephashim who say that the Aveda, the Mesha Aveda did was that he actually talked to the rock. He should have taken his, taken his stick and hit the rock and that would have been sufficient. What's he talking to the rocks? Rocks can hear. So however that's resolved, this resolved. But these Mephashim hold that Mesha Aveda should not have spoken at all. He should have only hit the rock. Now goes, hey, you with me? You with me? On the left side, Vahedim Amru, the fifth opinion is, they didn't praise the Yevishter. Such a nest happens. Water comes forth from Iraq, they should praise the Yevishter. Later on in our Pasha, we're going to have the Be'eda Shal Miriam, the waters to form the great nest for Kal Yisrael, and they praise and thank the Yevishter for this big nest. Yidin should have thanked the Yevishter now, and Moshe and Adam were punished. For not praising Abraham. This is a pretty powerful reason. You know what the Chazal say that Yahweh was supposed to be Mashiach and he forfeited that opportunity because he didn't say Shira. Similarly, Meshanar did not praise the Abish. This is reason number five. We're on page four, Nevitsin. Page four. Uh, reasons both. Vahirim Amru. Another say Hashem said they should speak. They did not speak, only Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock. See, this is a faketa reason. Before we had a reason, they were only supposed to hit the rock and not speak. Now we have a reason, they were only supposed to speak to the rock and not hit, which is of course more or less what Rashi says. Okay, now if you go down three lines, you have reason number seven. You with me? You with me? Zion. The Anche Shikol Hadas Amru. I underline the words. Do you have page four? The Anche Shikol Hadas Amru. I suppose this means the philosophers say, Shalayitochen, it's impossible to say, There's no way Moshe didn't listen to the Abishta. No way. Because if Moshe didn't listen to the Abishta about this, how could you trust him about the whole Tayyip? So he makes an argument impossible to say. But the Abish is punishing Mesha not in front of it that they did. Mesha gave us the Tata. He's infallible. If he's not infallible, maybe the Tata is fallible too. And the Ebenezer makes a distinction. There's a difference between a mitzvah and this. This was not a mitzvah. Okay? And a bunch of other points. But this is really not a reason of what the Aveda is. This is just a position of one of the rabbis says there's no way Mesha made a mistake. Now, if you follow this opinion that Moshe made no mistake, you got a question. If he didn't do anything wrong, why did he not go into editing? So, so perhaps later, if the clock will move backwards a little bit, we'll come up with a reason. Number eight. Now this number eight, for the life of me, I can't figure it out. I really can't figure it out. Vacherim Omru. You with me? And there are those who say, Ki Yisrael Omru the Jewish people said to Moshe, Ki they should take water from a different rock. He didn't say to Moshe, this whole business with rocks and water is supernatural, it's miraculous. So you need a particular rock, any rock will do. If the Abish is making a nest, any of them, any stone will do. The Yidin were saying to Moshe, why, why do you have to find the same stone? Take any stone at random 
and it'll perform the nace. Why after this one? And Moshe and Amram insisting it has to be the same stone. Moshe was afraid to change Hashem's words, and he understood from the Abishta's words that it needs to be the same stone. Because he did not believe that it was possible to produce water from the stone that the Yidin told him, Hest, the Yidin told him, here, take from this rock. And Moshe says, no, we got to find the old one. This was the Aveda. Okay, Nana. What's the pshat? <laughs> All of a sudden, Moshe has listened to the Jews. We always said the Jews have listened to Moshe. And perhaps the pshat is that it's, it's not about which rock at all, it's about the Eivishter. So why do you have to be so particular about finding that specific rock? Any rock will do. And Meish Rabbeinu's failure to believe them resulted in this uh, consequence, which is a very, very interesting pshat, an incredibly interesting pshat. And this becomes explanation number eight of the Ebenezer. Notice that so far you have almost no overlap. Completely different pshat. Now goes number nine. And number nine is Ebenezer. And you know, Ebenezer is always accused of being a a Jewish philosopher. In other words, without mysticism. Strict philosopher. Here is an example of an Ebenezer, which is such a chassidish Ebenezer. <laughs> it's so incredibly full of chassidish. It's not even that you say, this Ebenezer guy is full of contradictions. Listen to his pshat. My true interpretation, I'll reveal it, but in secret, in a hint. He says like this. When a chalik, what's such chalik? Chalik When a Yiddish neshama knows as hakoil, in other words, when the Yiddish neshama's direction is up to the Yevishter, you're in the business of trying to find out about Hashem, what we call in Hasidus, a tnuah of a rakse going up, yidabek bakel, you become one with the Yevishter. And automatically, v'yechadish bakel, eishis and And with the keach that you get from the Yevish, then you can perform miracles. Because if you're in a state of Vegas without a course, obviously you can perform miracles. The emes, and the truth is, k'adishem omal ameisho liyad and Hashem says to Meishat Adam, speak to the stone, v'lei dibru. It does not speak. But that was not the sin in itself. Okay, why did Moshe and Adam not speak? Because they were upset. Moshe and Adam were angry at the Jewish people after 38 years they're complaining. But for Medivas Amin Moshe, the people rebelled against Moshe and Abedu. Moshe got upset, flip over the package to page uh, 5. And as a consequence, Moshe was upset he didn't speak to the stone. Do you see the Ebenezer on the left side? Vehine ha'chelek cholak. Translate. The chelek alakami mal mamish has become separated from the Abishtim. The neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu, in his upsetness, in his, as, as the Rabbah is going to say it, the Rambam says it, in his anger, has become separated from the Abishtim. The moment that Tzadik is separated from the Abishtim, yeah? First of all, he's not alive, he's not able to perform miracles. But if God forbid he does, those miracles, you could argue, are the opposite of Achtos. The Koyach of Tzadik has to be the Abishtim. The Yidin got Moshe upset. Ha'chelek cholak. Moshe's upset, Moshe's disappointment, Moshe's pain caused him in his own sense, in his own pneumias, to be separate from the Rebishtim. Vehika Asela, so he hits the rock, the water doesn't come out, why not? When the Tzaddik has lost his Dveikas and the Rebishtim, he lost his Kairos. The whole Matthias of the Tzaddik is his connection to Lakus. Now that he has 
forfeited his connection to the Abishtim, his chalik, which is dovok bakoil, because he got upset. So Abishtim can't pull a miracle for him. Why not? He's separated. So he hits the rock, and not a lot of water comes. By the way, a lot of the Mephoshim say that the first time he hit the rock, blood came out. And then he hit the rock a second time. And in the footnote, it says, Apshat, that the Abishtim made the water come out. Hashem didn't want to embarrass Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu ha'chele kholak. The nitzutz is nivdal from the avukah. The spark has been separated from the source, the torch, from Melukus. Moshe gets upset, he's separated from the Abishtim. And because when he gets upset, he's separated from the Abishtim, a miracle cannot happen to such a time. So the Abishtim makes the miracle anyway. But he hits the rock twice. Because the first time he hits the rock, nothing happens, because ha'chele kholak. If you're not Dalek and Elkus, you can't make a nest. The second time, the Abishta makes the nest because he doesn't want to embarrass Moshe Rabbeinu, and then he punishes Moshe Rabbeinu for it. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu should have calmed himself down, should have collected himself, should have renewed his Dvekas in the Abishta, and then if he had done exactly the same thing, it would have been the same thing. They did not sanctify the Abishta's name, Umari, and they rebelled. So I want to share with you something right now. You're going to see in a moment. The Rambam, the Rambam says a similar word. The Rambam says the Avedo was that they got angry. Here it says that because they got angry, this is, a, this is an Ebenezer. This is a Hasidic Shabshat. It's a very Hasidic Shabshat. The whole idea of a Yitz, Vekas, Nelakus is only a Pikabot. A Pikkiri, you can't be Dabak in Nelakus. Here the Ebenezer says, He gets upset, and so forth. So there's a Maisa that I heard recently about the Rimnit Sereb, which is a Maidenika Maisa. He was a Yid, he lived here in America, they didn't need Rebbe. He was a very holy man, and a Moedinik of Malmoifis, and an incredible Moedin. He davened the whole day. He would go to the mikvah six, seven times a day. He would say the whole tillum without stopping. And if he stopped, he would start from the beginning again, non-stop. He'd just talk and talk and talk and talk. I didn't even say that. So he was living in Russia with a table in the mikvah. He lived in Chanovitz. Now it was frigid. Colder than it is in this room right now. It was frigid. It was well below zero. They had no mikvah. So they would break the ice. And they would table. I heard from a yid. That the mental footafat. The mental footafat knew the limit to them. And he had yahalat from He held of him. Till here. The mental footafat used to laugh at everybody. He had no respect for nobody. Except for the dead. And the limit to He knew him. He says they broke ice. The two of them together. He says he jumped into the water, and Mendel jumped into the water, he flew in and he flew out. The Nimitzah was sitting in that pool like as if it was a balmy summer afternoon, and it was frozen, frozen. He comes back from the mikveh, he has icicles on his beard still. And he comes into the house, and one of his many things that he did was he was a shaykhet. In Russia, every rabbi did everything. He was a shaykhet. So a lady comes in and says, Rebbe, Kill for me the bird. That's the nice way to put it. So he says, I just walked into the house. One bit up, Davin, and let me Davin. And uh, then I'll check the baby, check it for you. So she tells him, Rebbe, if you're not going to check the bird, I'll kill it myself. She says, okay, bring me the off. So she brought him the chicken, and he checked it before Davin. Turns around to his gaba, he said, we're going back to the mix. The ice hasn't even melted from your beard yet. He says, it says in Kabbalah's for it. He says, 
I think there was a trace of anger and the ticket for Kaas is Mikveh. So he went back to the Mikveh and said, We don't understand what it means to play with an ice. And then to make a second trip, why? I think, I think there was a trace of anger. I mean, this woman has some nerve. So the man just walked in from Tavulik in the ice, gave him a chance to warm up. You killed it or I'll kill it. So he shechted the bird from Iraq to the Mikveh. Moshe Rabbeinu got upset. And when Achelik Cholak, he can't do Aces on Mikveh. So the way the footnote really explains it more. The Amish doesn't want to embarrass Meish and Abenu. He makes a nest. But because the nest was not supposed to occur, he punished Meish and Abenu. Very powerful. And then, you have the reason, number 11, Yudala, if you see what I'm reading, I'm back to the Ebenezer again. Which is what the uh, Rabbeinu, uh, who said that? The very first reason that he gave, Ebenezer said in the very beginning, the, the reason Meishe Rabbeinu was punished because he called the Jewish people uh, rebels. And he says that when he called Yidin Moedim, it's a hint at the same secret, meaning to say that the moment Meishe called Yidin Moedim, in other words, Meishe Rabbeinu got angry, he should have said, I can't, I can't, I can't have Mishmah, I can't do it today. Bola called Kaas, Meishe Rabbeinu, there was an Indian of a Shemit Mimeinu, an Ephes Kotei, of an Indian that Meishe was upset, Meishe says, I can't, I can't. And because he hit the rock under these conditions and he had to hit it twice, this is what Meshach Rabbeinu was punished. Okay? This is Ebenezer. So we have now 12 reasons. Rashi, Rabbeinu Hanano, and 10 reasons from the Ebenezer. And now if you go back to page 1, we have that Ramban. But we are going to skim through that Ramban because I do not wish to relearn the things we learned already. Instead, we're going to learn only the material that's new. Okay? On page one on the right, he says, Verashi Pirish. He brings Rashi's interpretation. You see? Page one. There you are. He brings Rashi's interpretation. The mistake was that he spoke, he didn't speak to the rock. Had he spoken to the rock, it would have been a Kiddush Hashem. On page two, he brings the Avinezer. He says, Avinezer brings a whole bunch of Sidus. And I don't like him. <laughs> he brings Ebenezer. And in the middle of the column, on the right side of page 2, it says, Vaharav Rabbi Moshe. You see it? Vaharav Rabbi Moshe. I circle the words. On the right side. Vaharav Rabbi Moshe. This means the Rambam. The Rambam writes, Shmei Neprochem, Sove Beisvar of Yomar, Kimesh Rabbeinu, Olova Sholom Chetei, Hu Shednotel Etzadar He got angry. And the Aveda that Moshe Rabbeinu made was his anger. But he doesn't explain it the way we explained it before in Ebenezer. Ebenezer says Moshe got upset and Achelag Cholak, he shouldn't have done the miracle. The Raman has been very, very profound. Moshe Rabbeinu was talking to the Jewish people. The Jewish people, says, Ebenezer, says Rabban, the cotton Shabahem, the lowest amongst them, was greater than the Cheskel Babuzi Novi. They were no little kids, they were big people. When Moshe got angry, the Jewish people made an assumption. 
And the assumption is that the Abish did it angry. It never crossed their mind for one moment. They could not entertain the possibility that actually Moshe was angry because it was his own anger. They made the assessment, they made the surmise, they made the deduction that Hashem was angry. And this was the Chilal Hashem. That they, they acted in such a way that presented to the Yidin the sentiment that the Eivishter was angry. And in fact, the Eivishter was not angry. So they were punished for misrepresenting, mis, misrepresenting the Eivishter. By presenting to Yidin an image of the Eivishter's so-called mood, which was negative and angry. And as a consequence, um, they were punished. Now exactly what is so terrible about Yidin thinking that the Eivishter is angry is I clad? I don't know. Okay, and it, it, the way he explains it is that when Yidin complain about things, even if it's wrong for them to complain, but if what it is they're complaining about is just, Hashem doesn't get angry. When they complain about the meat, Hashem got angry because they didn't need meat. When they complain about bread, they complain about water, even though it was wrong for complaining, since they need bread, since they need water, so that Abishtev doesn't get angry. Here, Moshe Rabbeinu's fury led the Yidin to think that the Abishta was angry, this is why he was punished. Now, what does the Ramban have to say about the Ramban? So, just look three lines from the bottom about how much respect the Ramban has for the Ramban. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> the Ramban says, I have no tolerance for this Ramban. You see the words? Okay, don't worry about it. The Ramban respected the Ramban more than you and I could ever. But that, of the Ramban's shot for the shaders. We were in Yeshiva. So in the back of the Gemara, you have Muhammad Hashem and Amoyed Akot. The Moed. So the, the, the Moed writes commentary on the Rif. And the Ramban writes commentary on the Moed. And the rest of and the, 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 crit, the language was, this comment is a waste of ink. He should have used this paper for something more constructive. Like a shot for the shaders. Did he show him? Say, Ramban. Okay, and he brings the expressions that I showed you before, and and so Now, on the left side, in the bottom of page two, we have the Rabbeinu Chananu, which we read already. The Rabbeinu Chananu says that Amban holds. The Rabbeinu Chananu says. That the mistake that they made was, and they said, "Amina selahazeh noitzi noitzi lachamoyim." We're going to bring forward water. They should not have said noitzi. They should have said yoitzi um, Hashem. And I just want to show you on page three. Remember, one of the things I told at the outset of the class that it would be interesting to figure out the three expressions. You didn't give Yidin a moon in me. Merisem pi, you held against my words. And ma'altem bi, you abused me. So you see what he says, What was the abuse? When you use something that belongs to the Eivishter, without acknowledging the Eivishter, whatever the case is, it's called the me'ila, an abuse. And uh, the abuse was because since they didn't recognize that this matan that came from the Mabish, there was an infant abuse. As the word ma'at and Russian me'ilah. And then the next line says, Meris and P. You rebelled against my words because the Abish said they should speak to the rock. 
and they made a change. So he's trying to explain the two of the three expressions, ma'altem b and merisem p. Now, then comes hey. The MS and the truth is as follows. You see, the MS? Page uh, three. The MS and the truth is as follows. The issue is one of the great mysteries and the great secrets of the tale. And he introduces us to a whole new issue. And the issue is that Amban says when Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock the first time, he hit it only once. Now Moshe Rabbeinu is hitting the rock a second time, and he hits the rock twice. And this is the Aveda. The first time he hit the rock only once, he should have hit the rock once now also. Why did he hit the rock two times? This was the mistake. But he explains it al Pitabol. Now just for the purposes of clarity, I would like you all to turn to the Rabbeinu Bechayah, which is on page 9. Or probably even on page 10. Yeah, turn to page um, 10. And he brings, the, the, on top of page 10, on the right side, you have Dalad. You see the little Dalad that I made? This Rabbeinu Bechayah is a paraphrase of the Ramban with commentary, with additional notes. And he explains as follows. He explains as follows. We know in Kabbalah that Elokus, that godliness has two aspects. A masculine aspect and a feminine aspect. And you have to have both. The feminine aspect is mashpia, it's closer to us. But in order for the feminine aspect to be closer to be mashpia, the feminine aspect has to always be limiting, tzimtzum. And tzimtzum is associated with dinah, with judgment. So there's an irony. When Hashem wants to be mashpia, in order for him to be mashpia, there has to be judgment. But on the other hand, when Hashem wants to be mashpia, He wants to be generous. He wants to give. Giving is the opposite of generosity. So there's a dichotomy. There's a duality. There's two things that need to be provided for when the Eivishter gives. On the one hand, it has to pass through a channel that could give. And the name of this channel is P, the Eivishter's mouth, the board of the Eivishter. But at the same time, you want to be mamatic, you want to sweeten the judgment of the Eivishter's mouth. Which means to say that even though the Hashpah has to come through such a madrig in Alakus, what we call the Kabbalah see this Shechina, which we're able to receive, you want to sweeten it by adding Kuchabriyah. And Kaddish Baruch Hu, a higher Indian. Or in terms of Shemus, you want to add the Indian of Shema Avaya, a higher madrig. So let's read what happened. The Alderech HaKabbalah. I have the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar, second line from the top. According to Kabbalah, HaKhet Hoi B'milas Pa'amoyim. The sin is in the word twice. Answers all the questions and releases all the knots. The explanation is as follows. The Ebershter himself, which is Shema Vaya, or HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the sweetened aspect of godliness. It came down in Har Sinai. It met Moshe Rabbeinu Valerach. The higher level of godliness, the sweetening level of godliness, met Meshrabina by the Rak. 
the rak is representative of the channel through which the Ashpah comes from the Ebesh to us. In other words, the rak is the funnel, is the Gevudah, that allows the Shef Abraha to reach us. But you want to sweeten the rak. How do you sweeten the rak? You sweeten the rak from Havaya. But the first time around, the Ebeshtah's Havaya shows up at the rak. So Moshe hits the rak one time, so that the Mashkina should produce the water. With the understanding that the rock needs to be sweetened, the Abish is going to do it himself. It's it only once. In other words, he hits the rock, he provides the, the funnel through which the Baruch of the Abish that comes, and the Abish, this presence, sweetens it. Avokan Bitsur Shal Kaddish. I skipped one line, maybe. I'm at the end of the line. I think it's eight lines and up. Avokan, this new rock in the place called Kaddish. Hashem doesn't say that he's going to show up himself. There was no revelation of the Abish that it happened the first time. It was told to take the stick to hit the rock. So they stroked their beard, and say, last time around they hit the rock once. Which means our role was simply to open up the channel of Shechina, of Mashpia, the feminine. What about sweetening Ashpah? The Ebishter is present. Now that the Ebishter Kvayochel is not present, so they stroke their beards and they say, what? Both resolve. Which is, by the way, one of the questions all the commentaries ask. What in heaven's name did Adam do? Why is he being punished? Especially according to those opinions that Moshe Rabbeinu got angry. The Farshim say, Adam was never angry in his life. <laughs> What's he being punished for? And the answer is because they had a convention. They had a, they got together at a meeting and they both decided, is pa'mayim, to hit the rock twice. Because they were afraid that they hit the rock only once, the rock is going to represent sin from and it's not going to be sweetened. Can I get a tzor of Hashem? Because they think Hashem is angry. They have to bring down the sweetening of the Gavurus Medina. So the decision hit the rock twice is very reasonable. Originally, the Abish did himself appear on the rock, and he sweetens it. Now the Abish is not there. Now, what was the truth of the matter? What was the truth of the matter? The same thing we said in the beginning of this class of Darachapshaf. From this rock are we going to get you water? Should have said that. Forty years have passed. The Jews have matured as a people. Much closer to the Abishter. Much closer to the Abishter. The Abishter expects Yidin to understand that the Abishter is present without a parade. He has to make a big appearance. Hashem is everywhere, right? It's a Mephedish song from Uncle Yossi. It's one of his records, right? Hashem is there, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere, including by the rock. So he has to show up with a cloud, he has to have a parade. Don't even understand this themselves. Yeah, but 40 years ago you made a big deal. 40 years ago you were infants. So if I don't show myself, you know I'm here, but it's 40 years later you've matured as a people. You do not need Gilead Akus. You do not need to see me in a similar fashion. And Moshe and Adam misread what the Abishta did. They understood the lack of Hashem's presence and the need to hit the rock two times. And this was the Aveda. They should have understood that even though they don't see the Abish, the Abish that is present, and you hit the rock once, because there's no separation between the Chassadim of the Abish and the Dinim of the Abish. 
And then the Ebenezer goes on to say that the Avedo was not even that they hit the rock twice. The Avedo was not that they hit the rock once against Havaya and once Alakim. The Avedo was how Yidin perceived it. The Yidin saw them hitting the rock twice, and they understood from the fact that they hit the rock twice that the Ebishter was angry. And that when the Ebishter is angry, there's Chas Vashalom duality too. Everybody knows the very essence of Judaism is one. And therefore they were punished. The Aveda was not what they said. The Aveda was not that they hit it. The Aveda was they hit it two times, which is their way of saying that there's two levels. In the Abish there's no levels. There's an Albag and a Shalom who both say something really worthwhile. What they say is that uh, this was destined to happen. There's no good explanation for Meshach Aveda being punished. This had to happen. This whole story is a pretense. It's an excuse. Moshe and Adam were not supposed to go into Israel. But there's different ways of explaining why. Some could not do it. They had to stay with their generation. Some because Yidin didn't deserve such great miracles. Had Moshe gone into Israel, the conquest of Israel would have been totally supernatural. And this whole Maimeneva is, is a front. Is a, so to speak, there was an explanation for why they didn't go into Israel, but it's very, 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 very insufficient. And the real reason they didn't go into Israel because they were not supposed to go into now, now let's do the Kisve Harizal, which is on page 12 of your stack, on this um, issue of, of Meimeriva. The question, as you know, of course, is what was the sin that Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron committed if they were punished that they shouldn't go into Israel? I want to just give a, a little bit of a preface based on an idea that we learned earlier this year in the Baha'a class, where we talked about Tzipayda, the Moshe Rabbeinu married Tzipayda, and the Taylor refers to her as Isha Kushis, a black woman. And um, that's what Aaron and Miriam referred to Tzipayda as. And it's said in Hasidus, Isha Kushis Lokach means to say that Moshe Rabbeinu insisted on engaging in Taylor Shabal Peh. In other words, there's so many different interpretations as to what, is the, what was the issue, what was the argument that Aaron and Miriam had in objecting to, um, to Moshe Rabbeinu. And Hasidah says the objection was that he took a black woman. And expl- they explained the idea of Isha Kushis as being this. At the time, I explained it to you at length. Taira has a panim and an acherayim, a front and a back. The front of the Taira is a lakus. The face of the Taira is seeing godliness, which is enlightened, peaceful, and it's above. It's above the fray. It's above Kedusha. It's, it's above Klippa. And the Pnimiyas HaTaira, the light, the godliness of the Taira, is essentially an idea of Ruach HaKadosh, on which level everything is clear. The Achirayim, the back of the Teda, is what we call Seichel HaTeda, Chochmas HaTeda, the intellect of Teda, the scholarship of Teda. In the time of the first Beis HaMikdash in general, when there was a greater measure of Ruach HaKadosh, a Yid looked into the Teda, into the Sefer Teda itself. If they were able to tap into the Oida Leki, to the Pnimius, to the godliness of the Teda, Chochmas HaTeda, the intellectual dimension of the Teda, was automatically a byproduct of that pnimius. Like you have in Egeus HaKedish and Simon Chavav, the Rebbe says in Tanya, that Avraham Avinu knew all the mitzvahs, knew all the halachas. He didn't have a Sefer What he had was Kabbalah. And simply by knowing the Kabbalah, he automatically knew the Nigla. In other words, from the pnimius, he knew the Chitanias. So Miriam and Aaron's objection to Moshe in that Pasha was, in Pasha Balescha was, why does he insist in engaging in Tere Shabal Peh? In other words, since Moshe Rabbeinu had such a Kedesh, such prophecy, such inspiration, he should 
appreciate the godliness of the Pneumius HaTayda, which is obviously richer and truer than the intellect of Chitanius HaTayda, and not engage in Chitanius HaTayda. And as it said in the Maimah there, that they didn't object to his learning the Acherayim, the Chitanius, the Seichel HaTayda, but his insistence on learning Talmud Bavli, a, a level of Tayda which is more involved and gets more involved in the darkness and in the struggle rather than a more lucid, enlightened level even of the Chirayim of Teda as Talmud Yerushalmi is. Here it's 40 years later. Right? To Adon and Miriam's objection was the beginning of the 40 years. Here it's 40 years later. And here, Moshe Rabbeinu continues that vein, he continues that theme that uh, the proper way to learn Teda is to focus on the Yacherayim of Teda, on Seichel Teda. This idea, I believe, personally, is very connected to the whole notion that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to go into Eretz Yisrael. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu was the holiest man in the world, had the least relationship with the physical reality, yet he, more than anybody else, appreciated going into Eretz Yisrael. In other words, he understood the idea of Dira B'tachtainim, to bring God to the lowest level. In understanding Dira B'tachtainim, Moshe prioritized the level of Teira which is involved in Birudim, which is involved in correcting evil, which is part of Dira B'tachtainim. Now it's 40 years later. The Jews are on the verge of going into Eretz Yisrael, and the Moshe Rabbeinu maintains his sentiment, his attitude, that you have to be involved in Birur. But in this case, it's Hashem who disagrees with him. At this point, it's not Miriam and Aaron who are objecting, but the Abisha says he's wrong. So if you look on page 12, at the bottom of the second column, it says, Da, you should know. The Jewish people wanted to love Lateda on the face-to-face way. In other words, believe Shum Klipa. There should be no Klipa. Pure water. The Nishama of Taita, Pneumius HaTaita, does not descend to the level of Klipa. It doesn't deal with good and evil. It's, it's, it's rich, it's enlightened, it's above. Like it's explained in the aforementioned Tanya, Yeres HaKedosh Chavov. To be only involved in Pneumius HaTaita, not to be involved in Birudim, cannot be accomplished if you live in a world of Klipa. When you live in a world of Klipa, you must go away from Pneumius HaTaita and engage in Acherayim of Taita. The Yidin wanted to have Pneumius HaTaita because they felt that um, that they don't need to descend to the level of nigle that's involved in the darkness. They can maintain their Yiddishkeit on a level of light, on a level of godliness. And if you will, the Birudim would happen automatically. And in this case, Hashem saying, Meshach Rabbeinu is wrong. Let's read on. Meshach Rabbeinu all of Hashem Rabbeinu saw, Shadayin ha'edev rav ha'imagbidim klipasim sh'ayisrael. The edev rav still was bringing klipa into the Yidin. Which means you have to be involved in struggle, fight between good and evil. And in terms of Taira, that means Nigla de Taira, which is Mavarer, Tefamra. He hit the stone with a stick. This represents the idea, the stick, the stone represents the world. And the stick is Lishper Eisabachina to break that aspect, Miguf Umalbush Hataira, from the body and garment of the Taira. In other words, the level of the Taira, which is more peripheral, the intellectual dimension of the Taira, which which struggles to be clear in itself, and it also elevates the world through that struggle. As is Tamid Chachamim engage in discourse and in debate through arguing, and there's there's a there is a uh, forcefulness in it which grinds out the truth. To hit and to destroy the klipa. However, in this case, Hashem had not commanded him to do so. Forty years before. 
When Miriam and Aaron say, stay above the fray, Hashem agrees with Moshe Rabbeinu that each of is appropriate. Forty years after, Hashem feels that um, at this point there needs to be a focus on Pnimiya Satayra, even though it's not so involved in Dirabit Achtoinim. And Moshe Rabbeinu continues to believe that the way Taira affects the world is through the Taira which is involved in Birurim. Hashem doesn't tell him to do this. Speak to this stick, to the stone. which means that from speech alone the world is elevated. This is the level of Taita which is not a struggle and not a conflict, but it's face to face. That uh, just by shining the light of Taita, the world becomes elevated. And I suppose forty years earlier they needed to descend to. Uh, and now that they're going into Eretz Yisrael, Hashem agrees with the Yidin that you can afford to be involved in a more spiritual Taira, which will automatically elevate the Taira, the world, without having to descend to the struggle Achiraim level of Taira. That the, the Taira will produce truth simply by speaking, the world will produce truth simply by speaking the Taira to the stone without having to bring it down to the level of force. Now, they have to take a stick. And the stick is representative, says that it has to be some of the body of the Taylor, the Nigla. If you don't involve yourself in Halacha and a Nigla, you can't be a Yid. But on the other hand, after 40 years of the Midbar, Hashem feels that the predominance can be Pnimiyas HaTorah, and it is sufficient to um, to elevate the world without having to descend so much into the struggle. And the Arizal continues, Vayakil was on to gather the people together, and Hashem says, Listen rebels, am I going to bring out water from the stone? And he translates, Since you are rebels, and coarse, and materially centric, are you going to elevate the world? Are you going to bring out Torah from words alone? In other words, just by engaging in Pneumius HaTorah, without descending to the level of Nigla, which is Isaac and Birudim, are you going to be able to bring Hashem's light into this world? cannot be So Moshe says, just as 40 years earlier, he understood the need for the level of Torah, which is lower, which is about the Birudim, he's maintaining that position. He therefore hits the stone, which represents not simply shining light of Teda into the world, but actually engaging the Teda in the struggle of the world to elevate it. And he hits it with a stick by mind twice. Why twice? Can I get Talmud Bavli Talmud Yerushalmi? It's not enough the beaded of Talmud Yerushalmi, you have to have also the beaded of Talmud Bavli. And the waters came forward. There was different levels of Jews, and therefore they got different levels of water. But Moshe Rabbeinu was insisting on Nigla de Teda, insisting on the level of Teda which is engaged in Birudim. And the Yidin say they want Pneumius HaTeda, but in this case, Hashem felt that he was wrong. Which means that the Jews are about to enter the Eretz Yisrael. The Eibishter holds that at this point they could be Mavadah through Pneumius HaTeda, and Moshe's mistake is saying that since the aid of Rav is not prepared for this, he cannot afford to give this Pneumis Ateda even to the Yidden themselves. And this is his Aveda. And his punishment doesn't go into Eretz Yisrael. I wanted to give them water without struggle. 
you hit and engaged the klipa. And the way I understand that is, Hashem says to Moshe, Yidna going into Israel, and although Eretz Yisrael is Dira Betachtainim, represents elevating the world, but after the 40 years of learning Taita in the desert, the Yidna are ready to elevate the world simply with the, the Pneumius of Taita. Shining light will be sufficient to elevate the world. Just like it says in Hasidus about Shleim HaMelech, that Shleim HaMelech lived in Yerushalayim, and his light shone and elevated the whole world simply because it was a bright light. So Hashem felt at this point that by Yidin engaging only in Pnimi Yisra they could elevate the world. But Moshe hits the stone and stirs up the Klippas. And since he didn't make Hashem holy, that means to say, he didn't elevate the world from an aloof perspective, from a place of holiness, but instead engage the world. You can't go into Israel and bring Yidin in now. And therefore, stay with them in the desert. Any time the Jewish people go from place to place, to elevate the sparks, and if you will, Moshe Rabbeinu had, so to speak, stirred up through these efforts, you'll be with them. Then the klipa will be truly clarified. In other words, the newly challenged klipas that were brought up through Moshe's hitting the stone will have been cleared. Then Hashem says, you'll be going to Eretz Yisrael, because at that point, there will be taka delight of Pneum Yisrael, they will pervade, even according to Moshe Rabbeinu's uh, model. This is what Adizal says. So 40 years earlier, Moshe Rabbeinu was right in wanting to engage in Nigla de Teda, and 40 years later, this is his mistake. Now, on page uh, 14 begins the Hasidus. And the Tzamech Tzadik says essentially the same thing as does the Adizal. If you look on page 14, six lines into the paragraph, it says, he brings a medrash. Kishanar cotton, when a boy is young, Rabbi Maka his teacher has to hit him to teach him. Kivin Jehigal, as he grows, he can contain him and he can focus him through words. Hashem says to Meshe Ben, when this stone was small, you hit it. You hit the rock. But now, it's sufficient to speak to the stone and it's going to produce waters. And he brings from the Mahari, this is the uh, Abarbanel, that twice Moshe is given the instruction to extract water from the stone. The first is in Pashas Bishalach. And here, there, Hashem tells him to hit the rock. And the second is in our Pasha, Pashas Chukas, where Hashem tells him to speak to the rock. And one of the distinctions is that in Pashas Bishalach, the stone is referred to as Tzur. And in our passage, the song is referred to as Sela. And the Rebbe, the Tzamechtari, goes to a whole discussion about the difference between the word Tzur and Sela. Apikabola, Tzur is Malchus, and Sela is not Malchus. And he explains that Tzur means a harder stone, and Sela means a softer stone. And there's a long, long discussion that continues on the bottom of 14, all through page 15, until page 16, where I'd like you to turn to, please. And he explains that the... Um, the tzor and the sala that the Jewish people have have to do with uh, also with birudim, with elevating the world, associated specifically with taira. And he, he says the similar point to that of the Kisviarizal, that when Jewish people are on a lower level, you have to engage in struggle. But when Jewish people are on a higher level, you don't need to engage in struggle, and therefore you should not engage in struggle. And therefore, when the Jewish people at the end of the 40 years, since they're on a higher level and no longer need to engage in struggle, it's wrong to engage in struggle. If you look on page uh, 16, 
the last seven lines of the paragraph I indicated with an arrow and several vertical lines. When the stone is large. It's a level of face, front, which as I explained to you earlier means godliness in a revealed way uh, which automatically encompasses the more diminished intellectual dimension. Which is a level of pleasure of godliness. Jewish people achieve this level near going into which is that flows with milk and honey. And he explains, of course, that flowing milk and honey means to say that there's a revelation of godliness. So, though Eretz Yisrael is associated with Birudim and Dira Betachtainim, but the ultimate end of Betachtainim is Gilead Lakus. And since they're about to go into this place, to open up this well, this stone, you don't have to hit it, it's enough to speak to it. And this is the mistake that Meshach Rabbeinu makes. That he hits the stone, in other words, he's continuing to involve himself in the lower level of Taita, which has to do with Birudim, that although Birudim have the advantage of so to speak, descending to the place of filth and elevating it from that perspective. And this is the end of the class. That Apichsidis, Moshe Rabbeinu's mistake was that he continued to prioritize uh, This is very, very interesting. And I'll tell you why. Because according to Chassidus, every Jew has two, two desires, two priorities. One is to get closer to God. And the other is to fulfill God's purpose. And God's purpose is the opposite of our own. Um, our desire is to be close to Hashem. God's purpose is to make a day So when you look at the story of the Jews in the desert, you see that their struggle is a struggle of resisting day They have a hard time with the idea of elevating the world. It's, it's, it's too much for them. They would much rather be involved in holiness. The one person who appreciates the need for day is the one who has the least to do with it. Nobody is holier than Moshe Rabbeinu. And yet, ironically, it is exclusively Moshe Rabbeinu who puts going into Eretz Yisrael, who puts Dira B'tachtainim first, but he was so close to God, he had so much humility to Hashem, that he appreciated the need that the greatest thing you can do is sacrifice your own spiritual growth to be involved in elevating the world. But at a certain point, elevating the world stops. And at that point, you have to shine light. And this is, in quotes, Moshe Rabbeinu's sin, that he doesn't want to stop elevating sparks. He sees it as so advantageous. He doesn't want to stop. So the Ebisha says, you'll remain in the place of Birudim till all the Birudim are finished. In other words, all of us know, you've studied this in so many places and read it in so many sources, that um, Mashiach could come at various points. What's the issue? If Mashiach comes sooner, obviously it's better, but the sparks are elevated less directly. In other words, you don't get into the filth as much. So you elevate the more revealed sparks, the sparks that are closer to the surface, but you don't elevate the very, very lowest sparks. So when Mashiach is pushed off, the, the birurim happens more thoroughly, we all fall to a lower level, we have to struggle in a greater darkness, and we elevate, it low, we elevate lower sparks. So it's a very, very complicated catch-22. You know? On the one hand, everybody wants Mashiach, you want Gili Olikos. On the other hand, the longer it's postponed, the deeper the birurim. But at a certain point, it has to end, at a certain point, Mashiach has to come. In other words, at a certain point you say, enough birodim, now should be gili alakuz. So the irony is, Moshe Rabbeinu conditions himself to appreciate the need for birodim and diribetachtainim so much that when Hashem tells him, now it's time for gili alakuz, Moshe Rabbeinu says, wait, we can elevate more sparks. But at this point, um, it's considered a sin for Moshe Rabbeinu because 40 years before, Moshe was right in engaging in igladetayda, isha kushis lakach, because of the advantage of birodim. 
But now Hashem says they're ready for Mashiach. And since Moshe chooses to get more involved in the Klippas, more involved in the darkness, because he wants to elevate uh, lower sparks, so he gets in effect what he wants, that he stays in Golos, where the Birudim take place, until we finish elevating the lower sparks. Which is a very interesting insight into who Moshe Rabbeinu is. That Moshe Rabbeinu so much sacrifices his desire for the desire of the Ebishter, that he even exceeds what the Ebishter wants or expects in terms of Dira B'tachtein. Now, I just want to finish with, there's a Samachvav on page Pevav, I didn't put it in the stack, he brings a Medrash, that the Medrash says that if Moshe Rabbeinu had spoken to the stone and not hit the stone, we wouldn't have to work hard in learning Torah. We wouldn't have to harder, we wouldn't have to be misyageye in Torah. And the, Tzamach, the Rebbe Rashab explains it at Great Ariches, the same idea you have also in Shari Yerif in the middle of Rebbe, it's a very famous discussion about the idea of Pneumius and Nigla de Torah. And it's interesting that he brings the example of Meimeriva, because we now understand why he brings that example. Moshe Rabbeinu is hitting the stone, which causes that we have to be misyageye in Torah, is in effect Moshe's choice. Moshe says, I elect to make life more difficult for me and for Yidin so we can elevate the world more. Hashem says, speak to the stone. In other words, Hashem says, he's ready for Mashiach. Just shine light and sparks will be elevated. You've descended sufficiently. The 40 years in the desert and the Torah that was learned there elevated the world enough. And Moshe Rabbeinu insists on hitting the rock and continuing the engagement in the darkness on the darkness level and the result is that we have to struggle with Sabirudim, we have to struggle with our Lima Dateda, which is, a, like I said, incredible window into the perspective of a Nasi Biyasrao. He loves Yidin so much, as we all know from all over the Teda, but at the same time, he also loves Hashem's mission so much. And in this case, he exceeds Hashem in his willingness and interest and sacrifice to see this mission through.